0: you open your Bible to Second Thessalonians, I will make the disclaimer. I left my normal Bible at home, and so I'm using my work Bible, which is New American Standard. And so, when you're like, "That's not King James," it's not. It's New American Standards. <laughs> and so, um, between the ones I had, it's like I got to stay with one I'm familiar with, or it just throws me off. And so, I am familiar with this. And so. 2 Second Thessalonians Second Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 and then we'll dive in. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now we beseech you, brethren, with regards to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or by a message or by a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of our Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy come first, and the man of lawlessness be revealed, the son of destruction. And so I know I'm stammering over myself because this is wording it differently than I'm normally reading, but it gets the point across. And this is, last week we ended around here because this is the favorite verse for those who say that the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation. They say, see, right there it's obvious The rapture can't happen until uh, the antichrist comes, and so then the contention or I guess the debate is: is that what they're saying here? And that's why I hope to kind of get across here tonight. Uh, I know I won't get through everything that I want to present, but at least uh, we can maybe answer that question. Um, If you turn with me to Acts chapter seventeen, we'll start there to answer the question. The beginning is always a very good place to start. Seems like mom used to sing that to me. Is that some little song? Acts 17. Didn't you always sing me a song like that? The beginning is a very good place to start. Acts 17. And verse 1 says, "And When they had traveled through uh, Amphilo... Amphilo... I don't know. And Apollonia, this is they came to Thessalonica, uh, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And so this is Paul, and uh, I think it's the second uh, missionary journey. Uh, where they've come into uh, Thessalonica now. And there's a synagogue there. And so he gets there and he's going to do as he normally does. Verse 2 says, And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths he reasoned uh, with them from the Scriptures and explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas uh, along with a great multitudes of God-fearing Greeks and a number of uh, leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, uh, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And this, you know, they come, they make a big uproar. uh, They take Jason away and they lock him up. Paul and uh, Silas and Timothy have to flee. And so this is, but this is the birth of the the church in Thessalonica, or where we get the letters to the Thessalonians. And so Paul's there. um, And this is a, the second place where the gospel was preached in Europe, the first place was Philippi, and then they moved to Thessalonica, and Paul preaches there. He's there for uh, not very long; he's only there for like three weeks. Uh, we have three uh, three Sabbaths mentioned, so he's only there three weeks. Uh, so he preaches the gospel, and then he had to leave. He had to leave suddenly because they're they're making this big uproar; and they're wanting to kill him. And it wasn't like Paul was afraid and didn't want to stay. You know, the the, the, tre- the the agreement was kind of you know that we'll keep Jason, you guys go, and so so they go, and so he has to. Has to leave in a hurry. Um, later, Paul then travels to Corinth, and while he's in Corinth, uh, is, is where we get the two letters to the Thessalonians written. It's while he's in Corinth, uh, but while he's there, he sends Timothy back uh, to go and teach them. You know, Timothy's the young preacher. We, we've got the you know first the letters to Timothy, and so he sends him back and then uh, to go back and tell them. And so that's where he goes back to, to teach him to see how they're doing because they, he's only been there three weeks. He wants to make sure that they're grounded, that, that they're doing okay, that they're not going to just give up the faith quickly, and then go on to something else. Uh, so Paul's there less than, less than a month, like I said, three weeks. Um, the church was largely Gentile. Uh, it says that there was a synagogue there, you know, but it's the Jews who also called all the trouble in verse 5, and the Jews becoming jealous. You know, he's in there preaching from the synagogue, and they get jealous, but uh, there's a lot of those Greeks that were um, convinced, I wanted to say there, but the uh, God-fearing Greeks, a number of leading women, and he had a lot of people there, and just in the Thessalonica area in general. You know, It wasn't a Jewish community, it was a Gentile uh, community, so you have a lot of Gentiles that got saved, um, and so because he was ran out and he had to leave, um, he left them with no experienced leadership. It wasn't like he established a church, left Timothy or left Silas there, you know, or maybe even Jason. You know, it seems like Jason's a, a pretty. He didn't have anybody leaving with, so he kind of left this baby church and he had to hurry up and go. And so Paul's worrying about him um, now. Timothy encouraged Paul. Uh, by reporting that the church was healthy, he's like it's doing pretty good. And so, uh, let's look at First Thessalonians. He's, we'll be back to Acts if you want to mark that. But look at First Thessalonians chapter three. So Paul, being the, I guess their their father in the faith a little bit, you know, the one who planted the church here, or their their pastor, even though he can't be there. And First Thessalonians three, he he still worries about him and. First Thessalonians chapter three verse one says, "Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith." And so he's he's reporting about this incident. You know, it's like as soon as we left, I couldn't take any longer. I sent Paul back to go find, or I sent Timothy back to see what's going on. Verse three says, "So, "So that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know." That we have been destined for this. And so he, he sends him back. Verse uh, four says, For indeed when you were with you uh, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, and as you know, for this reason when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor had been in vain, he's afraid that uh, if you think of the parable of the sower, you know that he sowed the seed and it talked about you know the ones that birds that would come and snatch the seed or the weeds that would come out and try to choke the seeds out and he had the sun that tried to the persecution that tried to burn it out. He said, "I was afraid that the tempter would come and try to uh, corrupt the seed." Verse six, he says, "But now that Timothy has come to us uh, from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love." And that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we long to see you. I mean, that was a good report back. You know, that Their faith was strong, and, and they're, they longed to see Paul just like them. Uh, verse 7, he says, For this reason, brethren, in all our distresses and affliction, we were comfort, comforted uh, about you through your faith. Uh, for now we really live if you stand firm with the Lord. He says, you've got to stand firm. Stand firm, then you have life. Verse 9, for what thanks can be rendered to God for you in return for all the joy for which we rejoice before our God and our on, on your account, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may be complete uh, what is lacking in your faith? He says, "You know, I, I began that good work in you. I like to give. I'd like to teach you more. I'd like to. I wish I could have time there to to grow you." Verse eleven. He says, "Now may our God and Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct uh, our way to you." And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And so he kind of ends it with the hint, boy, I look forward to, if anything, if when we get together then, when we all get together in the end. And so Paul gets a good report. And I think it's kind of neat to be able to see these little snapshots that way. Uh, if you look at Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul writes this letter, you know, and it's the same three who are greeting them, you know, because they're still on this journey. Um, and, and so he's, uh, he's greeting them, and that's the reason why he even writes this letter. He's, he's, he's trying to uh, clear up some uh, questions that they have. Uh, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul and, and Slovenius and, and Timothy and to the church of Thessalonians and God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. And so it's the same three that were there. Uh, Earlier, and so he's writing back, verse 2, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness steadfastness, of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choices of you or that your election is sure. I think that's how the King James goes. He says... I know you're saved know that you're saved and be grounded in it uh, we know your love we love you we're praying for you and so he's, he's just a letter of encouragement and this is a, a pastor writing to his people he's been pulled away from and he's just trying to encourage them in the faith so like I said Paul's there for only three weeks so during that time he taught them foundational stuff he had to cover basic Christianity pretty fast you know that one he had to win him then he, you know, so then you get uh, the salvation message then he, he's why he's gotten there he's got to teach him so what did he teach them in three weeks? You know, to have this church, he gets a report. You know, it's only been maybe a few months before he's having to write this back, and he's found out that they're doing good. What did Paul teach them in these three weeks? I find this fascinating. Look at, look at Acts 17 again. We were just there. Satan does his work in the church, too, and try to get us on different topics and not on the good, main, and plain things. Um, but Acts 17 we're going to read this time and and see what he taught them look at verse 2 he says and according to Paul's custom he went into them uh, and for three Sabbath reasoned with them from the scriptures he he preached the Bible to them he made it make sense I think that you could use uh, well what what Bible did Paul have did he have uh, the Gospels no (laughs) he had the Old Testament and so what's he showing he's showing them prophecy See where Christ had to come. See where he had to be born as a baby. See where he had to live the sinless life. See where he had to die on the cross. See where he had to... So he's reasonable. See, who else could it be? He's taking them to Isaiah. Read that. Who is it? They're like, that's Jesus. He's "He's showing them all from the Old Testament Scripture. 300 and some prophecies he had to go to to show them. See, Jesus is the Christ. Same Bible you and I got. We should be able to take someone if we only had the Old Testament. We should be able to lead someone to the Lord. Paul's able to do it. matter of fact, the book of Acts is that way. And that was all they had. And we should be able to read them to the Lord just from that. So he, he told them about prophecy. I think that's what he's showing them. See, this was foretold. It was foretold a hundred years in advance. He was foretold. Um, John the Baptist did it right in here too. And, he, and he's pointing the way. He's showing them. So they, they get saved. Uh, verse 3, he says, explaining and giving evidence that, uh, that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I am proclaimed to you, is the Christ. So he showed that Jesus had to suffer. I think he's showing that Jesus was the, 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 the Lamb of God. That he had to suffer, suffer for our sin. That he took, made the payment for our sin. So he's teaching them that. He's teaching them how Jesus paid our price. It's not through your good works. It's not through your giving. It's not through your idol worship. It's through the payment of Jesus Christ, you know, the perfect Lamb of God. He showed them that the payment was sufficient, that we need nothing else. He also showed them that Jesus was the Christ. You know, that he's, he's proven it to him. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He also proved the resurrection. That it was a bodily resurrection. That he rose again, showing that he was God and that the payment was sufficient. You know, that there was nothing, nothing lacking. Uh, verse 3, he also said, you know, that he ends with proclaiming that he is the Christ or that Jesus is the Messiah. And so pretty much, you know, the, the basic message we get here in, in Acts 17 was that he gave him the gospel. He's like, here, what's the best thing you need to be grounded in? The gospel. Salvation, salvation, here's how we know. This is what we know. It's not what you do. It's what Jesus Christ has done. He also talked about the deity of Christ. He was built in that case. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the deity of Jesus Christ. He taught them the sufficiency of Scripture. He reasoned from the Scripture. He didn't use everything else in the world. He didn't use trendy and cool things. He used the Scripture. He gave them, uh, uh, with that, he's showing that this is the Word of God and that we can believe it and see hundreds of years, these prophecies. Jesus is the Christ. And so he taught them the sufficiency of Scripture. He taught them the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He rose again. There are eyewitnesses. You know, they've seen him. You know, uh, he, he, he could allude to you know, Peter back in there. and I've, I've met with him. You know, I've talked to him and James and, and these who saw him. Uh, he taught them that the payment was made in full. And I'm sure with that, you know, implies that about God's grace, about God's mercy, about God's long suffering. Uh, in that's included that we're sinners. You know, he, he gave them the gospel in a full, rounded way. What else did He teach Him? This one's really—you you rarely hear this in the church today. If you go to First Thessalonians chapter three, uh, no, you can mark. You can lose your spot, in Acts, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't see it in my notes. We'll stay in First and Second Thessalonians. Now. Uh, so, First Thessalonians chapter three, we just read earlier, but he also tells us what he taught him. First uh, Thessalonians three and verse three says, "So that no man uh, may be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this uh, afflictions." Does anybody have a different word there that talk about tribulations or anything else? What trials? Okay, so because uh, here's the problem with what's going on in Thessalonian church or Thessalonica there. They were Gentiles. You had the Jews. Paul gets run out of town. There's all an uproar. Nobody's happy about the church being there, especially Satan. You know, that's affected them. And so they're being persecuted. Satan is like, I don't want a church here. He's trying to squash it. People are being beaten. People are being killed. People are suffering for their faith. Um, Look at verse 4. He says, for indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know, he said, what's he tell baby church? What's he tell baby Christians? You're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. It's not your best life now. <laughs> you get a car; everything's going to be better. Health, wealth, and prosperity. No, you're going to suffer. You're going to pay a heavy price. The parable of the Sower. Jesus, He can go back to that again. Sunlight of persecution makes their roots drive deep. Fortunately, as we know from the report from Timothy here in chapter three, their faith had increased. They'd grown stronger. They'd been clinging to the Lord. So He, he told them that they're going to have, suffer persecution, um, and that they, you know, that they should. Uh, uh, it's not like today. It's usually someone's gotten saved. We need to shield them from any kind of trial that might come on. We've got to guard their faith. They can't handle it. They can't grow. No, they need the sunlight of persecution. God has designed it that way. It's going to happen that way. And that's what drives their roots in deeper. You know, If it's just the sunshiny belief, well, everything's going good, I believe. When it doesn't, I don't believe. It's no faith at all. So what else? And so he's taught them the gospel. He's taught them you know, uh, the resurrection. He's taught them... Um, uh, mercy and grace. He's taught them the, uh, the sufficiency of Scripture, the deity of Jesus Christ. he's taught them about persecution to have that. You know that in three weeks, you know, he's given them um, some good stuff. Yeah, he taught them one other thing. Go <laughs> you ahead know, get some. Yeah, yeah, He had to teach about that. And they had to have it. He had to, like, the Holy Spirit is the one teaching them, right? Our um, gospel did not come to you word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit's <laughs> Amen. Amen. I do love it. It's the same way with uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, he gets converted and then um, I can't. Remember. Yeah, he's left, but the Holy Spirit's there. and the Holy Spirit still indwells us, teaches us, helps us, strengthens us, encourages us. And so, yeah. So that's why he didn't leave them abandoned when he left them with nobody. He left them indwelt with the Holy Spirit to teach them and to guide them. Very, very true. But he taught them another thing. If you look at Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse one says, "Now we request, uh, this is hard to read. Now we, we beseech you, brethren, uh, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering gathered to Him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by spirit or a message or a letter as if, as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy come first and the man of lawlessness be revealed." The son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so called God or object of worship, so that he take his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? He went through the end times with him. He said, Don't you remember when I taught you about the Antichrist, and I taught you about the apostasy, and I taught you about how he's going to be blasphemous? Uh, I bet he was going through Daniel chapter 9. I bet he's going through the whole end of Daniel. He's like, don't you remember? So he's there for three weeks, and he spends time on the, on, on the, on the second coming. He spends time on the rapture. He spends time on the, on the Antichrist. He spends time on the apostasy. All these things to the point where he's like, I was just there. It's only been a few months. Don't you remember? He says, you ought to know this. Don't you not remember while I was still with you, I was telling you these things. It's important to tell a new believer about the, the Lord's coming. The ends coming. it's there. Why? because the imminent return of the Lord drives us in our daily living. It's what keeps us on and keeping on. Uh, it's a very important issue. Um, right now you know in Christianity, here's what I always get you know because oh, Brian, that's all you ever want to talk about. It's like well it is mentioned like every 30 verses. You know, a, it does seem like every the New Testament book pretty much covers it. Uh, we got one whole big book at the end, you know. Let alone Jesus spends a lot of time on it. And, you know, I don't know how many times I've mentioned it in Matthew, and he's going to get even more so as it gets towards the end of the uh, gospel. Uh, it's usually that's just a side issue. It's not an important thing. Put that on the back burner. What's it's not important to real Christianity today. Nay, nay, I think Noah's very vital to important Christianity today. It's what motivates us to do right and to stay with him. The imminent return of our Lord. It's what they taught us. It's what he taught us. I think it's very important. Paul thought it was important enough to indoctrinate them in that within three weeks. He's saying, you ought to know all of this. Because their whole problem is that they're confused here. And he's like, you shouldn't be shaken in this. I've already told you this. I've already given you instruction. He thought it was vital to disciple young Christians in this. look at chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. right yeah he's telling them we've got that hope excellent point i think we can get around to that too later too excellent point. point uh, first thessalonians chapter one and verse nine he says for they themselves report uh, about us what kind of reception we had with you and here remember these were gentiles these were idol worshipers and here we have a perfect example of repentance right here how you turn to god from idols to serve the living and true god That's repentance. They were serving idols. Now they've turned to God. They've turned their back on the idols. They're going a different direction. He says, you've done that. You know, These heathen, these Gentile people have turned. They've repented. And what's he tell them? And to wait, verse 10, and to wait on his son from heaven, the imminent return of Christ. They were looking for him. He had taught them to look for him, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. He's also telling them, you're not destined for wrath. Remember, that's what the tribulation is, wrath. We looked at that a few weeks ago. He says, you're not for that. You're to be waiting on the imminent return of the Lord. He says, that's what these new Christians were doing. He's, he's encouraging them, and he's encouraged by it. Yes, you've got it right. You've repented, and you're waiting on Jesus Christ. This is right. That's what's supposed to be. See, this is where the problem comes in. They were waiting on Jesus Christ. They were waiting on the rapture to happen. Now, there's a, the early church didn't call it the rapture. That was a term that came out of probably the Victorian age, uh, where we kind of deemed it the rapture. Um, Harpazo's is the Greek word, you know, the catching away, the great uh, snatching up. Um, but the, the early church had another term for it, and I think since we miss it, uh, we miss how obvious it is in the Scripture. In the early church, they called it the gathering. When we'd be gathered, and the Greek word talks about the believers all being in one place, kind of like forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. It's that same word when we we'll all be assembled, and so they called it the gathering. Which is a great word for it, because that's what it will be, isn't it? He'll come in the sky and we'll gather together to meet with him. And so they would talk about that. They were talking about the rapture. Turn back to 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Uh, It says, Now we request uh, you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. So what's that talking about in that first one? It's talking about the rapture. He says, uh, I've got got to address this. This is only three chapters of this whole book. And why is he writing this? He's writing this because they're upset. Um, That's verse 2. It says that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or by a message or a letter as if it from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now, if you remember last week I went through, uh, I know I stammered early on a lot, but uh, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a very specific term I think it's used four or five times in the New Testament, some 19 times in the Old Testament. It means this dark and terrible day. This is the time when God's wrath is poured out. It is uh, the the, the tribulation towards the end. You know, when it gets really, uh, all hell breaks loose. And there's very specific terms. Go ahead, Dave. How do you think anybody think they can miss that? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I think they don't want to see it. I don't know. I uh, I don't know how they can get it. That's what Paul's point is to him here. He's making the point that all oh, this has to happen. Yeah, we should be looking for. They should be excited. They shouldn't be disturbed because they should be thinking. If they thought that the rapture's at the end, ooh, you know, it's, it's, we're in the day of the Lord. He's coming anytime. Some of them did twist it. And he yells at them later in chapter three. He's like, some of you aren't even working. Some of you are just being busybodies. You know, it's sitting around like it's going to happen next week. We're to be working till he comes. We're to be waiting on the Lord in that in the sense that we're looking for him all the time. So he gets on He fusses on him for it. That's why he, I think the Lord the return of the Lord is imminent. If he had told us a date, we'd all be sitting around like, yeah, I can live however I want, I'll get cleaned up before the end, and then we will go. You know, we'd take a big old loan, you know, I'd get me a Lamborghini, i i got to spread the gospel faster. Oh, yeah, do it. You know, we'd, we'd make all kinds of excuses. Would people really do that? I don't know, Any anytime that there's a date set, what do people do? They sell their houses, they go buy crazy things, go sit on a hill. Right now there's a... Uh, Harold Camping. He came out with 88 reasons why Christ is coming in 1988. He's coming again in 2010. So he's got another book. Uh, he's a liar. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, these are people that we're about in Matthew 24. Date setters. Jesus said, no man knows, no man knows. And so don't believe them. Don't buy their books. Uh, but Second Thessalonians chapter 2. They're upset. They're, they're disturbed. They're quickly shaken. Because they're thinking they're in the day of the Lord. They're thinking that the wrath is coming. Why would they think that? One, because they're being persecuted. They are being persecuted, and it is being hard for them, which he warned them about. Remember chapter 3 of second Thess- or First Thessalonians? I told you there was going to be persecution. You know, so it's going to happen that way for a young believer. It's going to happen that way for anybody, especially where they are and how they lived. He says, I already warned you about that. So why else are they believing that they're in the day of the Lord? Because see, they're upset. They're thinking, I thought you said we were going to miss this. I thought you said that we were going to be out of here, that we were going to be raptured. Now, how come we're in the day of the Lord now? Like What else would confuse them? It says that here that they got a letter. It says that either disturbed by a, a spirit, and apparently in this letter, or a message or a letter, um, here, to sum it up, it's probably like this. Somebody comes back into Thessalonians, and they've got, and they're telling them, hey, Paul, it's, we're in the tribulation. It's so bad like this because it's in the tribulation. The spirit moved Paul, and he's written us a new letter that tells us we're in the day of the Lord. And they're like, why is it? You it? Why is it? I thought he said we were going to miss all this. Now we're in the day of the Lord. Uh, I thought he said we weren't destined for that. And, and now we're here. And then they've got this forged letter you know, that, that says it's from the Spirit. And they're like, we don't know. We're just baby Christians. It's only been three or four months. Well, they don't know what book to buy when they're in in or Tree of Life. We don't know who's good or who's bad. And so, so Paul's like, he's like, don't be disturbed. One, stick with what I told you. I'm not going to change the story. God does not change. And then he even kind of yells at it too. I think it's in verse uh, chapter 3. Yeah, look at chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 17. To make sure they're never confused again, uh, Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And this is a distinguishing mark in which every, in every letter, uh, the way that I write. He's saying, see this little mark I make? My mom always draws this little heart with a cross. I think Paul had something like that. I always put this on there. If it's not on the letter, it's not mine. Don't believe it. I don't care what they're writing. Man, do we have to worry about that stuff today, false letters? You ever heard of a thing called Dan Brown? Da Vinci Code, and the Gospel according to Timothy, the Gospel according to Mary, the Gospel according to these are called pseudepigraphal books. These are books written hundreds of years later that try to twist the Gospel and switch it all around, that try to disrupt people, disturb people, to make people think different things, to make people... Different. Satan's not changed his tactics at all. They tried to do it right then in the early century, and Paul's like, no, I, I they, had the autographer, they had the autographs, he's like, look for my autograph, I, think I signed my work with... A little heart with a cross it. So I picture it. <laughs> so so he, he signs it that way. He's like, look, do not be deceived by these guys, these, these, these hucksters. Let's see. So he, he's thinking that they're, you know, they're worried that they've missed the rapture. They're thinking that they're the day of the Lord because of this. And Paul says, you ought to know better. Let's, let's go back to his previous letter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Now of the times and of the epics or the seasons... Because, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written unto you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now that's, see, in Christianity today we get kind of disturbed about that too, because Thief in the Night is a popular song. I like it, you know, like a thief in the night. And then there's a, there's a movie in the 70s, you know, from the kids, know, well my kids know it because I've, they watched it with me. It was called The Thief in the Night. And it was about the rapture, you know, this girl being left behind. It was a, I think it ended up being four different movies, Thief of the Night, Distant Thunder, you know, Mark of the Beast, and Prodigal Planet. And they're pretty good, and some of them are on YouTube, but you talk about sideburns and some groovy looking people, man. It's, it's, it's on there. I've got a couple of scenes on the computer back there I can play sometime. But, um, <clears throat> and, and then Matthew, he talks about the Thief of the Night. Well, just think about it. Is a thief stealing anybody a good thing? See, a thief is someone who comes unexpected. A thief is somebody who comes in the dark. A thief is somebody who, who causes havoc when they're there. That's not for us. Uh, that's not for us. Jesus is going to come suddenly. Yeah. But it's called His glorious appearing. Our gathering together into Him, our great hope, the blessed hope. It's not a thief coming to, to just mess things up. No, it, that's not for us. See, the day of the Lord comes suddenly upon them and He wreaks havoc and He usually tears up your house and breaks the window out of your Jeep and messes up all your stuff and smashes your dashboard. And I remember our house got robbed when we were little. They broke out the back window. They turned our pillows inside out. They ate our peeps and they drank our Pepsi. Yeah, but they, they, they caused havoc, you know, and just just disturbed you. But bothered me for a long time. I think Dad bought me a little cap gun. I was ready when he came back next time. But... Uh, <laughs> It was, it was disturbing. I mean, my brother wouldn't sleep back in the back half of the house there. I mean, how old would I have been back then? Well, he was, he was four, and then we moved to Newhouse, he still coming out. I mean, yeah, it, it messes with me. That's, what, that's the whole point of the thief uh, coming as a thief. This is going to be something disruptive. And look at verse 3. He says, notice, notice these words. While they are saying, not us, not you, not the Christians, while they, them, those that dwell on the earth, the world, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction shall come upon them. Not, he's excluding himself. He's excluding the Thessalonians out of this. He says, Like sudden birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. We escape. you know. He says, They, them, they. He's talking about somebody else. The, the, the day of the Lord is not for us. But you, verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness. That's not us. The day shall not overtake you as a thief. No, why? He says, For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of, of night nor of darkness. That's not for us. We're children of light. We will see him in his glorious appearing in, in, in the bright light. The day of the Lord is darkness. The sun turns to blood. Or no, the sun disappears. The moon turns to blood. And the stars fall out of the sky. These are some of the things that talk about the, the day of the Lord. The great, dark, and terrible day of the Lord. We are looking for this bright and glorious coming. That's what we are. We're looking for our great hope. Uh, where were we uh, verse uh, uh, 6 says, So then, let us not sleep as others, others do, but let us be alert and be sober. See, we're looking, we're watching, we're waiting on the sun, as he told them in chapter 1. We are looking for the imminent return of the Christ uh, at any time. Verse 7, For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplates of faith and love and the helmet of hope and salvation. For God has not, underline God has not destined us for wrath but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, he promised them, you missed the day of the Lord. You get over to chapter 2, they're thinking they're in the day of the Lord. And they are distressed and they are disturbed because Paul had told them they were going to miss it. That's why they're upset. That's why they're upset. See, what did Paul tell them? Paul told them this is what's going to happen. See, because the first time he wrote them a letter, they were upset thinking they were excited about the rapture. Second 2 Thessalonians tells us Paul had already taught them about the rapture. He says, I have told you. Don't you remember I told you these things? He'd been through a Daniel, and he'd showed them those things. And so then they get thinking about it, and they're like, um, apparently some people have been killed during this time, been persecuted. And then they're concerned. Well, what about our dead loved ones? Are they going to miss the rapture? What's going to happen with them? And that's why he writes in 1 Thessalonians. See, look at uh, chapter 4, verse 13. He says, uh, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, for those who are asleep, that's the dead Christians. A Christian never dies. You'll find that in Scripture; it'll say sleep. It doesn't mean soul sleep. It doesn't mean all oh, their souls They're you know to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. That means that their body it looks like it's asleep because it's laying there, it's laying in the casket, it's laying in the ground. But one day it's going to wake up. That body, the body that dies, will be the body that rises again. That's why he tells us in First Corinthians fifteen. I turned it to Jack Van Impe, Rexella. First, he always gives all the references like that. But we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren. And he's saying 2012, so he's missing. Uh, brethren, but th- those who are asleep, that you be not grieved as the others who have no hope. For if we believe, verse 14, that Jesus died and rose again, even so um, he will bring with him those who are falling asleep in Jesus. They are coming back with him. Verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not uh, precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. See, that was a comforting thing. The dead in Christ, they rise first. If we've lost someone who's dear to us, who's a Christian, they're not lost. And they get they're, they get a part of a rapture. Matter of fact, they get raptured first. Uh, their body and their soul reunite. They come together. They have the eternal body that's going to live forever then. And then we are changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15. We fly up and meet him in the air, and we're gathered together unto him. Praise God. The saints are together. And we miss the day of the Lord. We are taken out of here. First, uh, Revelation chapter 3. We are We are saved. We are kept from the trial that comes upon the whole world. Uh, we are not destined for wrath. We are, we are destined for salvation. And so it's great comfort to them. So now someone comes and tells them, you're in the day of the Lord. That's why they're all upset. Because Paul and they are adamant. We believe in the pre-tribular rapture. <laughs> they might not have called it that. But they, they thought that they were going to be gone. That's what's got them all upset. And the rapture is not something that should not upset us or cause us distress. And some people it does. Uh, unless you're, Unless you're not saved, then it should. I, it was vital to my salvation. I thought, I remember the day that I realized that I was um, a sinner and that deserved hell. I thought, if the Lord comes, I saw that movie, it scared me, I'd be left behind. And then it should bother you. But once you're saved, we should take comfort. We should have rest in it. But some people it still bothers them. They still get a, It's not a distressing thing. This is a good thing. This is the joy. This is the thing that's supposed to comfort us. Um, sometimes it still gets you. I remember, I'll tell a story of Lane. She's not up here. Uh, <laughs> Elaine and her uh, sister um, was when she was young, living at home, and her parents are, are farmers, uh, and uh, and she had a little baby brother at the time. He's, he's quite a bit younger than her, and uh, in the middle of the night, her sister had gotten up and went in to say something to her mom and dad, and they weren't there, uh, and so she's like, "Oh no, the rapture taking place!" And Elaine had come in there because she yelled, "Ah!" And Elaine comes right in there, and he, she's like, "The rapture happened." And Elaine's like, "Why well, here?" She goes. I don't trust you. He's like, I don't trust you. So they went to see if the baby was there. Like, The baby's still here, so it must not be the rapture. And so they were in a field. Uh, But but they didn't trust each other. You might not be saved. but you might not be saved. (laughs) But but we're not to be fearful. He's going to come. And we're not going to miss it. It's not going to be like, oh, I was asleep. I missed it. Uh, If you repent, uh, he even makes it clear in here. Um, Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God shall bring him with us. Uh, Repent and trust Jesus Christ. For clinging to Him for our salvation. And this is what we're looking for. This is the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the Rescuer who's come to get His children. That's probably where right we're at the end where I'm over time. But we'll go back to 2 Thessalonians next week, and we'll see what else Paul puts some clear identifiers to show. See, it's obvious you're not going to be there. And he tells them, and he lists some things that says, See, these things have to happen first. We're not looking for anything to happen. They're saying... There's nothing that we have to wait for. It can happen at any moment, at any time. And he's making his case with that. And that's what's got them all upset. They're thinking that we're seeing these things and that the day of the Lord is there. And he's like, nope, don't be distressed. Don't be distressed. Don't be distressed. Amen. Would be whether we are alive when he comes or whether we're dead when he comes. Either way... Are you, maybe maybe the two, but I think he's referring back to sleep as in chapter 4, and that those are dead in Christ, because that was their big question. What about those who had already died before? Uh, so I think he's worried about, they were worried about that. He's like, take comfort. You know, he's bringing it down. Um, and, you know, Then he also encourages them how they ought to live, You know, not to be unruly, not to be crazy, not to despise prophecy, examine everything carefully. So he, he's giving them, of course, he tells them to examine everything carefully, and then they buy into a bogus letter. But Lisa, did you have some?